Those of you who were with us last night, how many went out with more light than what you came in with? It was powerful, wasn't it? And man, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next four tonight and the next three nights. And in particular, I believe, I, I told Pastor afterwards, I said, I, I think there was an unclouding that is taking place. Things are becoming less murky, less murky in, in the realm of of the love of God. And you know, you've often heard this saying, you can't give something that you don't have. And so in order to truly be and present the love of the Father to people, then we have to have an understanding of His love for us. And so truly, this is, if you have a a heart for evangelism, uh, then right here is your greatest tool and you're in the right house tonight. All right, Pastor, would you come and we'll pray together. Thank you, Lord, for bringing Kurt to us. I thank you for the gifts that you've placed in him. And we just put a draw upon you, Father, that you minister according to your will through our brother, and that you open up our ears and our eyes to hear, to see, and to know, Lord, because we desire to believe your good love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, thank you, Pastor. And thank you all for coming. Um, I... uh, you are going to receive, your life is going to be forever changed. I also encourage you with this, um, on uh, Wednesday night, I'm going to be doing miracles, and God's going to do some amazing things. And so one of the reasons that, uh, one of the things that understanding God's love will help you in is so that you become certain that He wants to help you. And tonight we're going to be getting into some of those things, but God is going to do some amazing things in your life. And you need to start expecting now. I do want to um, let you know that uh, I wanted to give away a couple things. This is another copy of the devotional that's um, based upon what I'm teaching uh, at these five series of meetings. This is, we actually, uh, was this for the radio broadcast? We actually wrote it um, for the radio broadcast as well. Well, we, I I wrote it. Um, I felt bad for the other two people on here, Sean and Amy. Because uh, when I write stuff, I've just recently begun to reread what I wrote. Um, normally, I would just write it and then send it to them. And then they were like, what are you talking about? Because you've butchered the English language. And so really, they, they, uh, they, they re- uh, deserve a, a great deal of credit. But what this is designed to do is, is that every day you should be feeding on about how much God loves you. Or how much he loves us so that you can minister it, as Pastor said, to someone else. And uh, there's things in here to help make it practical. There's some things in here that uh, will answer some questions. Honestly, more than I'm going to be able to answer during these five sessions. Um, I usually teach seven sessions on this. Um, And at the end of seven sessions, I always wish I had another at least five to seven sessions. Because there's so much that the Lord has shown me about this that um, we just need to get a hold of. But I do believe that since you have the Spirit of God the same way I do, this will be like a Kickstarter for you so that you can jump off and God will begin to speak some specific things to you. So if you'd like this, Patrick, why don't you want to give this to somebody who's still struggling with God's love for them? Um, Now, uh, also, the Hearing from God book, Patrick told me we're about sold out. If we sell out of any of our books, you're welcome to go on Amazon. They're there both for paper and Kindle. If you do go on Amazon, 
I do ask that you uh, write a review after it's over, good or bad. I do want to give away this. This is this kind of goes along with this, but it's a little bit different. This is called snared by the fear of men. Now, if you're in here, uh, if you're a minister, we have another series called "How the Fear of Man Will Snare Your Ministry." Um, that will change your life in ministry, but everybody needs to hear this part of it because this is where um, this is about you not being able to be the person that you know you are called to be because you're afraid of what somebody else is going to think. Uh, your loved ones, people around you, your friends. And uh, we have these available back there, but I'm going to give this one away because I've watched too many people that had too many giftings, but they were afraid to step out because of what their friends were going to think, whether they would be accepted, whether or not people were going to like them when it was over. And this will empower you to be who you were called to be and completely be free of this, the fear of men. Because if you don't realize it, when you become afraid of what people are going to think, it is like walking around with a trap tied to your leg. You can, sometimes you can get a little bit of movement out of it, but you're not going to get very far and you're not going to go very fast. And so you want to find somebody who looks like they're scared of what people think? Um, so, you know, I, we were talking about partnership. I do want to say thank you to the church and I believe uh, my partner list that they give me does not give me areas. Uh, what, the, what they do is they give me names. And so, because every morning, um, uh, the first thing that we do is we pray over uh, the partners of the ministry. And I think we, we pray, what, 15, 18 scriptures o over you guys uh, every day. And so that is, is for the church. But I believe some of you are also personal partners as well. And we, anybody else wants to be a partner, we welcome that. And uh, we are going to be starting up writing our newsletter again in, um, probably in uh, December. Um, the only thing is, is I'm probably not going to email it. I actually want you to have a physical copy of it. Because for two reasons, um, I don't read emails too much because I get about 250 a day. And so I figure you might be similar to that. And also, I want you to have something physical that you can refer back to, that you can lay down next to your Bible and actually go through. And so if you'd like to sign up for that, I, if, if we don't have anything out there, you can go to the website, curtowen.com. But let me tell you what you all, and each night for the rest of the time, I'm going to tell you a little bit of something about what you as a church have done. Is that all right? Um, first, I'm going to tell you something, one of the things that you guys do that we don't get a chance to talk about because we can't take pictures of it and we can't really, um, uh, it's really hard because of the sensitivity of it. But I'll give you an example. A uh, short time ago, there was a pastor who ended up having a physical challenge and had major surgery. So while he's laying in the hospital... His daughter, who is his praise and worship leader and his bookkeeper, his son, who is his drummer and his administrator, come into the hospital while he's laying there in more pain than he's ever had in his life and look at their dad and say, we want you to know that we are leaving your church and we only believe 10% of what you minister. We think you're wrong. We think you should quit. We think you ought to leave, this ministry. You ought to leave the ministry and uh, you ought to just give up. So I get a phone call from the wife. Uh, I think I'd just, I'd just flown in from somewhere. It, this was last year. Uh, just, what, was it last year? I, I'm not good with time. If I say a short time ago, it's anywhere from 10 minutes to 10 years. <laughs> so please understand, 
uh, my wife has sat there before and said, I said, you know, a short time ago, honey, that was six years ago. And uh, time seems a little fluid sometimes. So anyway, this is what happens. This man's laying in the hospital in pain, and now he's been completely rejected by his own children, questioning really whether he ought to even live or not, much less. So the partners made it possible that we flew up there. We did not do a single service. Not a single offering was received, but we ministered to that man and his wife for five days and reminding them how Jesus felt about them and why he called them and why they were important. Our partners make that possible. Unfortunately, it's one of those things you can't take pictures and say, hey, look, this guy was going to quit and you guys made possible. It just, it just doesn't work that way. But nevertheless, that's exactly what you partners made possible. Now, this year, and I'll just share one, that's just one thing, but it gives you an idea. One, of the, one thing that we did this year um, was in Uganda, uh, there was an orphanage, and they, part of the way that they fed the, the kids was is that they, they had people that would go out and work, and then by the labor they produced that day, they would earn money, and when the, they got done, they would come back and they would bring, and actually there, it was two orphanages, now that I'm thinking about it, but one of the orphanages, the, the people would go out work and come back, and then they would use the money to feed the children. The problem was, is when COVID hit, they shut down and nobody was allowed to work. Well, if they didn't get to go out to work, they didn't get any money that day. There, there is no, uh, what do you call it, uh, digital giving. You, you don't text to give in Uganda. And so these children were starving. They hadn't eaten in I forget how many days. And uh, we figured out a way to get them the resources. And our, you partners made it possible to feed, I think, 300 children for... If I'm right about the numbers, 300 children for, I don't know, maybe a month or something like that. And you guys did that. Now, tomorrow I'll tell you what we, what's been happening in Peru and in and other parts of the world and what you all made possible. But you are having an effect all over the world. Amen? All right, so let's get into the Word. Now, tonight I'm going to get into some things. Um, now, each night it's going to get stronger and stronger. Each night, there are some things that, that are going to become settled on the inside of you. And then by Wednesday night, um, probably my favorite thing to share with people, whether it's individually or in a service, you're going to want to be here for that because it's going to help you receive in every area of life and it's going to give you an accurate picture of how Jesus wants to relate to you. But tonight we're going to get into something because we can't go much further in the love of God Unless we ask the question, like, have you heard about these ministers that have been leaving uh, the, the church and rejecting the Lord? And if you ask, when in their testimonies, it's kind of a, a theme. And what they say is, is that they've begun to look around the world and its society. And they've looked at starving children. They've looked at children with birth defects, they've looked at all of the suffering in the world, and their conclusion is, is that if God was alive, that He's not a good God, because He allows all of this suffering, and therefore, since they just don't believe that there is a God, because why would a God create a place like this, and then leave people to endless suffering? If we don't answer this question, as you go out into the streets, you're going to have trouble, and you're going to have to, uh, and you're saying God loves you, 
This is going to be a question more and more people are going to ask. Plus, if you don't settle it in your own heart, in your own mind, it'll always linger there when you hear things and you see things. And so I know one of the things uh, benefits of coming here to this church is, is that you ha- I have people that hold to the Word. But not everybody in here has heard every message that Pastor Sid has taught. Not everybody in here will listen online. Not everybody in here has at all the same level. So we all need to get on the same page. Plus, you need to have a biblical basis why you can give an account. Are you with me? Alright, so I want you to go with me to... Um, let's just go to Genesis chapter 1. Might as well go to the beginning, right? Now, there's a, the reason to settle this is because there are a lot of things that religion teaches that are actually completely the opposite of anybody being able to trust God. And actually, a lot of things that religion says, there's really no true way you can trust God. And and let let me explain it to you like this. Pastor Sid, could you come up for a second? And I'm asking you, please not hurt me. Okay, so, all right. So let me ask you a question. If all of a sudden I grab Sidney by the throat and I start choking him, can he entrust, call out and ask me for help? I'm choking him, right? And can he really, with any faith at all, Kurt, help! Help, Kurt! Help! Now that... There's no way, right? Because the guy he's asking to help is the same guy that's choking him. And there's a lot of religious people crying out to a God that they happen to believe is the same person that's choking them. So how can you release true faith to get the choking stop from the guy you think has actually started the choking? Right? Because this got to be settled because there's no way he can ask me in absolute faith and confidence for deliverance from the choke if he thinks I'm in any way a participant in the choking. And so we need to settle this. All right. Let's go. We're going to do a a lot of reading because you need to see this. Uh, We're going to just start in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then, the Lord, then God said, let there be light. I do think it's important. A lot of times people say, well, the Spirit of the Lord is here. That's great. He, he's here. But if you want Him to be doing something, you're going to have to release something. And so he says, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God divided the light. Now notice this, he saw that the light was good, and God divided the light from the day, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so evening and the morning were the first day. And this is pretty good, right? Because he said it was good, right? Okay, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so in the evening and the morning were the second day. 
Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Now, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, herb that yields uh, seed, and the fruit that tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so, and the earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was? So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let there be lights in the firmament, And the heavens will give light to the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Notice that the lesser light, the one that was the reflection of the sun, was meant to rule the night. I don't have time to get into that. He made the the stars. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was... So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters have abundance of of, of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth, above the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, which which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was? And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind. Cattle and creeping things and the uh, beasts of the earth and each one according to its kind. And And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind. Cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was? All right. Now, this... So what's going on here is is that God is in control. Absolute control, is He not? Answers yes. Open book test. He's in absolute. He's in absolute control, and everything is. While God is in absolute control, everything is. All right. Now we also see something about how God does things here. God is planning. Uh, uh, trees, but he's not using a hoe. God is using his words. He's using dominion. Are you with me? Alright, so now, he's got all of this laid out. He's created everything, and everything is good. And he has absolute control. The birds are doing what he wants them to do. The animals are doing what they want him to do. The seas are doing what he wants them to do. The lights are doing what he wants them to do. Because he is in control. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Now I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to add let them have dominion with each of these so that it impresses on your head. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Let them have dominion over the birds of the air. Let them have dominion over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Again, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given all of this to you. I'm just going to shorten this now. God, I've given all of this to you. The herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth, all, of all the earth, and every tree whose, whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. Now, that's kind of important because not, now man not only has dominion, but now he, he is now the one that has control. He has now been given dominion and control. No longer am I going to be the one to tell the animals what to do. No longer am I going to be the one to tell the creation what to do. From this point forward, you are going to be telling the creation what to do. Now, this is what's interesting about what he says here is this. He says, everything that you're going to eat is going to have a seed in it. The reason that is significant is this. Man is now going to determine what his diet is going to be, not God. Because if all of a sudden, um, I don't like asparagus. I actually hate asparagus. I don't like the texture. I don't like the smell. I just hate asparagus. So I can just tell you, if you sit there and you tell me, uh, here, everything you have here has seed in it. I'm never going to plant another asparagus seed. Now, I'm going to find me some apples and some bananas. And I'll actually tear up some asparagus to plant me some bananas. But from this point forward, whatever now grows, what I like, I can have more of. And what I don't like, I don't have to have at all. I just don't have to plant it. See, a lot of times people are sitting there saying, well... Well, you know, I wish God would give me this. He gave you seed. The seed sets an appointment with a harvest. All of you who sowed tonight, you actually now can... Man, I don't have time to... But let me ask you a question. If all of a sudden I, hand, I held up a bag of tomato seed, I don't know who this is for, but if I held up a bag of tomato seed, y'all ever seen the little packages of seed? And it's got pictures of tomatoes on it, and it says tomatoes. And I say to you, if I plant this, what am I going to get? What would you answer? Tomatoes. And then at that, so you're telling me that just by looking at the seed I'm going to plant, you can tell me what my future is. Now, let me ask you a question. If I'm standing here and I've got a tomato seed, tomato plant, and I'm looking at here, what can you determine if you look at my tomato plant? At some point in the past. I know what you were doing. At some point in the past, you planted tomatoes. How do you know? Because I see what you got. On the same way, if I plant it, you can tell where I'm going. See, all of you that sow seed, when you, when you actually are sowing your finances as seed, or you're sowing your time as seed, you actually should begin to determine that I actually now know my future. My future is no longer uncertain. My future is actually certain because I've just set an appointment with it. I was able to look at the seed packet. I know exactly what my life is going to be like. I know who that's for, but take it. 
So here we are. So now, God has been in control for five days. Probably half a day on the sixth day. But now things have changed hands. By God's own direction. Have dominion. Now this is not, I'm, just so you know, we've got to have two or three witnesses. Go with me to Psalms. Um, uh, Psalm chapter 5. Excuse me, Psalm chapter 8. Verse 3. It says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? You've made him a little lower than angels. Actually, that word there is the word Elohim. It's the only time, this is the only time in Scripture it was translated angels. Every other time it was translated God. You have crowned him with loving, uh, you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him, man, to have dominion over all the works of your hand. You have put all things under his feet. Psalm 115. Verse 16, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Okay. Now, I know that people say all the time that God is in control. But that is not true. And now I'm going I'm I'm to prove it with you. Now, I know, and I understand religious mind thinks, well, that I'm actually taking away from his godhood. No, I'm not. I'm actually respecting his godhood because I actually took his word and believed what he said, and I believe him to be a God of integrity. Are you here? Okay, now, I can prove to you that God is not in control. How many Christians in here do I have? Okay, I want to ask you about your testimony. Have you ever had the Lord tell you to do something and you didn't do it? Specifically, what about this? The Lord told you, don't say that. And you said it. So how can God be in control if he can't even get you to keep your mouth shut? You knew what the will of God was. He told you what His will was. He told you what He wanted you to do. And you said, no. No, I'm not doing that. Is that true or not true? Now, if God is not in control of us, (laughs) His people, what does this say about how much control He has? I mean, we're the guys that are supposed to be on his team. And he can't even get us to show up sometimes. Now, that does not mean that God cannot uh, protect you, preserve you. But it does mean that you are going to have some responsibility in it, just like man now has a responsibility. Are you here? You know, because it goes back to this. Um, If you can't answer this question, it's a legitimate question to ask why there are starving children with a loving God. That is a legitimate question. Now, uh, let's go here to uh, Psalm, or not, excuse me, Genesis 2. Um, let's, uh, Let's go to verse 15. 
2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to, in, to tend and keep the garden. Notice that he, the man had a job, right? He's supposed to cultivate and protect. Uh, you should always remember, especially ladies, if you start looking for husbands, uh, boy ought to have a job. And so it says, uh, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden... You may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So, question, pop quiz. Does God want man to die? Does he not specifically tell him how to avoid dying? Does he tell him specifically how to avoid death? So it is not God, it was never God's will that death ever be entered into the earth. Yes or no? Okay, so why God's in control for five and a half days, everything is good. But about the sixth day, about midday, he hires this other fella and gives him complete control. And then kind of gives him some instruction. If you want things to turn out good, boy, don't eat that tree. I don't want you to die. I don't want there to be any death. I don't want there to be any destruction. But now, son, you're in control. And I'm telling you how to avoid. Everything is good up to this point. If you want to keep everything on the good track, just don't eat that tree. So, when death enters the world... Who did it? Man did it. So why are we always having these arguments about whether it's God's will to heal or not? When from the very beginning, this is the thing. Let me just tell you. I hear these people all the time and they say, well, it was, you know, uh, healing passed away with Jesus. Or some of them will take you to healing passed away with the apostles. Well, hey, genius, let me tell you what's wrong with your doctrine. Healing didn't start with the apostles. Healing didn't start with Jesus. It didn't start with either one of them. So how can something pass away with a group that didn't originate with the group? Jesus shows up and just is doing the will of the Father. The same Father who said, don't eat that tree. In the day you eat that tree, death and evil will be the result. So what is the Father's will? Life. How do we know that? Because he told him that. But the man had a right to make a choice. So, okay. So who was in control of whether death shows up? Was it God? No. Because he just gave this this whole thing to him. And he has the right to choose what he's going to eat or not. And he does choose it. So people say, well, I want to know if God is such a good God, why Are there birth defects? Why are there these diseases and all this deformity? And you can answer them. It was my great-granddaddy's fault. My great-granddaddy brought the pain. It didn't have anything to do with God. This is what happened. God was in control for about five days. On the sixth day, my granddaddy showed up. God gave this thing to my granddaddy, and then my granddaddy made a choice that brought birth defects, that brought death and destruction. But God, and God even told him, don't do it. So you can't look at God and blame him for any of this. 
You know, people say, why are there starving people? It's pretty easy. You know, in this country, I don't know how it's working right now, but years ago when we used to, I've been in ministry for 28 years, we used to drive everywhere. And I thank God those uh, days are over. I didn't realize I had on this other thing. I'm used to wearing radios and stuff, so... Um, so, I, I, you know, I thank God the, the driving days are over, but we used to drive all over the country, drive from Florida out to, you know, like Wyoming and Montana and stuff. And I remember several times you would see grain just piled up in the field. And uh, I would ask, I'd say, what are they doing with all that grain out there? He goes, oh, nothing. It's just, it's just rotten. Well, what do you, I mean, y'all going to sell it? Oh, no, no, we... Uh, we, we, we can't sell it. The government pays us not to put it on the market because it would reduce the price of grain. See, most people don't realize that this country, God has blessed this country so much that we could grow enough food in this country to feed the entire world just ourselves. You go to other countries. I know a lot of times people, because if they don't travel, um, you can go to countries in Africa that have the wealth in their soil and in their land to provide for everybody, but the men that are in charge uh, do not care about the people. They only care for themselves, and so they make choices that bring that about. But see, they have the right to do it because their great-grandfather was given this planet. Are you here? See, you've got to be able to answer this question. Why are there starving children in Africa? Because people value money more than they value human life. This is the, you know, a lot of times people argue about biblical prosperity. Well, then I got a question for you. What are you going to say to the Lord when he says, you know, I could have given you multitudes upon multitudes of finances by which you could have walked up to that farmer and said, hey, what about this grain in the field? And they said, well, the government's paying me not to sell it. I said, well, I'll pay you to sell. I'll pay you to give it to people. That I, I, I've believed God. I've prospered here. What, what are they paying you? Are they paying you this much a pound? I'll pay you twice that to sell it. Put, send it over to Africa. This is a reason for prosperity. This is a reason where we can step up and say, you know what? We're just not going to let them. We're just not going to. We, we're going to value human life more than we value money. And we're going we're to begin to prosper. We're going to, you know, if you think, because out in the world they say this, he who has the gold makes the rule. That's great with me. I'm going to let God give me the gold and then I'm going to make some new rules. That we're going to value human life more than we value money. And then you will begin to see the will of God done in the earth when the people of God begin to respond to His Spirit and people will say, is God in control? Well, not directly, but we do everything He says. He has control of me. Now, here, uh, just to re-solidify this, go with me to Deuteronomy. See, God was never the one doing the choking. It's okay to ask him for help because he's not the one that initiated it. Deuteronomy, this is uh, 30. Let's look in verse 19. I call to heaven and earth as witnesses. I'm reading out of the New King James. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Then he coaches you. Therefore, choose life. That both you and your descendants may live. Now listen to this. That you may love the Lord your God. That you may obey His voice. That you may cling to Him. Now let's just stop there. Because there's a lot of times people get this idea. About when God gives a command. That this is 
this is just him being God and him exerting control. But it's really not. Because what does the next thing say? Why does he want you to listen to him and to cling to him? What does it say? It says, for he is your life and the length of your days. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Another way to say that is, is that he might fulfill the promise that he swore to you. Now, i got a question for you. If God is just in control, why is he asking people to make a choice? Right? If I'm in control, then I don't have to ask you to make a choice. I'll just make the choice. Are you all here or are you going home? I'll just make the choice. I, I, I won't ask you. I won't, call, I won't say I call heaven and earth to record to get this day against you. Choose life. Uh, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. No, I'm in control. You're going to choose life. This is the way you're going to do it. But that's not what happens, is it? No. He's talking to the people that are actually in the control. Here, look. Guys, guys, your great-granddaddy really messed things up. But there's still, you can make a choice right now. Because I'm willing to help you. I'm going to set before you life and death. I'm going to set before you blessing and cursing. Now you have a choice to make. And can I really help you with this so that you know you should choose life? Now let me ask you a question. Why was he sitting there saying choose life? Because that's always been his will. I didn't create you to experience death. I didn't create you to have death and destruction in your life. I never wanted that. In fact, I warned your granddaddy about it. He wouldn't listen. And so now I'm talking to you. I'm willing to do this for you because I've loved you from the beginning. And I'm trying to help you. Will you just listen to me? Could you please choose life? And see, when I got saved, or before I got saved, honestly, I didn't really want to become a Christian because I thought that, that God was a bunch of don't do this. I mean, I really looked at him as a thou shalt not God. I, I, I truly did. I know I've said this before, but I did. Nobody ever explained to me that his thou shalt nots were designed to keep me from dying. That he was in love with me, and when he said thou shalt not, it was no different. I, I, I once watched a, a, a child. I was, stay, I was in this house, and uh, the burner on the stove was like red hot. And it, you know, I mean, if you ever noticed when those burners get red hot, not the gas burners, but the electric burners, they can look pretty, right? They blow, they glow, they've got that, you know, that little thing. Well, the baby wanted to touch it, starts to reach out to touch it. And the, and the mother slaps the baby's hand and says, don't touch that. And then the baby starts crying, oh, why won't you let me touch the pretty red? Why? And now she thinks that mama has stolen all her fun and cheated out of her the fun things in life because she won't let her touch the little pretty red thing. She said, thou shalt not in an effort to save the child. Not to control her. 
not to victimize her, not to take away all her fun, but to preserve her. See, the reason we, when we start thinking that God's just a bunch of rules, it's because we fail to take into account that He's in love and He's trying to explain how you not to get burned by the burner. That His thou shalt nots have nothing to agree with control. He's smarter than you are. He knows what will burn you. And you're sitting there, you know, and I know there's people in this room right now sitting there thinking, well, yeah, but I, I know how to live life. So did that little girl. I guarantee you that little girl was convinced she knew better than mama that this would be fun. Yeah, well, I, I'm older than that little girl. Yeah, but you ain't older than God. And God's had a little bit of experience with burners on you. Are you here? See, it's a choice. Now, if it's a choice, it means he is not in control. It means he is not the one determining the outcome. If I say to you, choose, you're the one that determines the outcome. You do. Or else you really don't have a choice. Now, then people always say, they say, well, yeah, but if God was a God of love and he was truly loving, then he would just do it for us rather than giving us a choice. Except that you haven't understood yet that the ultimate expression of love is choice. That I, I, I love you enough to allow you to make your choice. That I will not... You know, do you remember one of the things that people don't understand about God is uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about love suffers not as long as kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up, Right? It also says love seeks not its own. If God was just going to make you do what he wanted you to do, he would be seeking his own. And love doesn't do that. Love offers a choice. I know better. I'm just going to make you do. Remember, all of the calamity, everything that happened here, sin entered the world and death by sin. And who did the sin? Adam. So you can't lay any of this at God's feet. You can't lay any of it at His feet. Because when He was in control for the five days, none of that existed. Not only that, let me throw something else out to you. If God is in control, then the Lord's prayer makes absolutely no sense. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If that's going to automatically happen, why do I have to pray it? By the way, that's an excellent verse to reach Catholics on. Because they pray that all father like it's going out of style. And so you, you can just point out there and say, well... Especially where healing's concerned. Ask them, is there, is there any sickness in heaven? Well, well, no. Well, Jesus specifically said in the Our Father, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this sickness cannot be of God because there is no sickness in heaven. Are you here? We, God needs us to enforce His will in the earth. That's one of the reasons it's important that we vote, because we get a choice. 
We get to say we have a king, he, he has a kingdom, and this as ambassadors, we vote his way. But you've got, you have to realize now that when you're sitting there and you're thinking, I, I don't understand why God did this to me, God didn't do it to you. Yeah, well, I, I, I've got this sickness infirmity. God has allowed this. It wasn't God that allowed it. It was your great-granddaddy that allowed it. And now you're dealing with the repercussions. And now you must act against it by saying, no, I don't choose this sickness. I choose life. All right. Again, uh, let's look at, um, let's go to Luke chapter 5. See, we've got to answer these questions in your heart because if not... You're going to constantly have these get brought up or somebody's going to try to sow it into you. Well, if God is a loving God, then why this? Do you realize that at least the two or the three ministers that I read their testimonies, those three ministers that affected thousands of people, they left, their, they left the Lord because they believed somehow he was responsible for this. If they had just understood this, they would still be standing with it. Or at least have a better shot. But nobody ever explained it to him. Somebody sat there and said, well, God is in control. Well, God is in control. Well, if he's in control, and this is all screwed up, it is right to believe that he's the one that screwed it up. But then when you begin to realize, uh, no, actually, while he had control, everything was good, then when it was given to us, it is a legitimate question if we keep this religious junk about how, you know, it's like one guy told me, he said, um, well, you know, nothing happens in the, in the uh, earth lest God wills it. And I said, do you truly believe that? And he said, yes. And I said, well, you're the most arrogant person I've ever met. And he looks at me and he says, what do you mean? I said, you've just told me you've never been outside the will of God a day in your life. That you've always done the perfect will of God. Every decision you've ever made was. I said I don't believe you. I said I know for a fact. My every decision hasn't been made of the Lord. Sometimes I do wish God is in control. I'd make better decisions than what I did. And see this is one of the reasons. Just to be clear. God. A lot of times people want. Uh, they want actually. They want God to act like the devil. In, ultimately. They want to be possessed. That I want, you know, God, just make me do right. It doesn't work that way. Just possess me, Lord. Just do what you want to do. That's not how he wants to do it. He wants to sit down with you. You're my child. We're father and son, father and daughter. I'm going to teach you, and then I want you to want to carry it out. But I'm not going to make you do it. I had one guy one time, it was actually in Wyoming, he said, I want you to pray that God would give me a desire to get into his word. And I said, well, and, and I, I was getting ready to pray it. I'd, I'd had a lot of people pray that. And then the Lord said, don't, don't pray that. And he said, say this. And this is what I said. I said, sir, you already have a desire to get into his word. I said, or else you wouldn't be asking me to pray this. The problem is you won't yield to that desire. You want God to make you do it rather than you choosing to do it. Just, I mean, he basically, and I've been there, you want God to grab you in a headlock, force your nose in the book, wake you up, right? I mean, I remember in early days, I'd tell the Lord, if you'll wake me up, I'll get in the Word. All right. So uh, we're in um, uh, Luke chapter 5. 
Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching. We're in verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching there were, there, that there were, the Pharise, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, uh, Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Everybody see that? Funny thing. Not a single person gets healed. The guy who actually gets healed wasn't in the room when this was said. The power of the Lord is present to heal these yahoos that are sitting there in their minds, criticizing Jesus, ready to jump on them. And yet, the Father still loves them enough that the power of the Lord is present to heal them. They're sitting there criticizing. They're sitting ready to jump on him and call him a blasphemer. And yet the Father still loves them so much. The power of the Lord is present to heal them. Now see, most people think, well, if the power of the Lord was present to heal, then they would just be healed. Evidently not. Evidently that's a religious view and not an actual scriptural view. Because this specifically says... That the power of the Lord is present to heal and none of them get it. And they've got every advantage. they got the power of the Lord present to heal. they got Jesus standing there and they still don't get it. They don't get it after another guy gets it. Who's not in the room when the power of the Lord was present to heal. So let me ask you a question. If this happened with Jesus physically standing there, is it not possible today that the reason our people are not getting healed has nothing to do with God at all? That God could be doing His part. God could be standing there, right in the midst, with the power present to heal, but people just will not receive it. And if He was in control, I've got a question for you. Why didn't He just do it? Well, he didn't want to. That's bull. The power of the Lord is present to heal. (laughs) Right? It's actually there for that purpose. You can't tell me he didn't want to do it. He's got the power sitting there to do it. But nobody gets it. It's going to take a man that's not in the room, that's outside the building. The power of the Lord is present to heal. Remember, it says them. Who is the them? It's already told us who the them was. Who is the them? The Pharisees, the doctors of the law, the people from all these cities. None of them get it. It doesn't say the power of the Lord was present to heal the guy that was out on the outside that his buddies were trying to get him to put in the roof. And yet people today say, well, they weren't healed. Must not have been God's will. I don't know. This guy, they're standing in the presence of Jesus physically. Standing there. The power itself is present to heal them. And they don't get it. So tell me who. He's got it sitting there like a reservoir. Ready to pour out on top of them. Change everything about their lives. Every sickness. Every disease. It's sitting there. They won't take it. If God was in control. Then that power would have just flowed out. And poured over them. But it didn't. It sat there waiting. If you want this, I will gladly give it to you. I will gladly provide this for you. Are you here? So how can we sit here in good conscience and blame God for Him 
supposedly not having done enough. He is responsible. When we have a very clear biblical example with the power to make these people well and none of them get it. The answer is not that God is the problem. God is not the author of the problem. God is the author of the solution to the problem. And we have to learn how to cooperate with him. Okay, go with me to uh, Mark chapter 6. Are y'all getting anything out of this? See, what I need you to walk out of here with tonight, I need you to walk out of here with the fact that God is not my problem. That anything that I've ever been told that somehow the reason my life is the way it is, the reason that my body is the way it is, the reason, reason that all these things are the way it is, that somehow God was responsible, I need you to walk out of here saying that that can't be true because we looked at so many scriptures tonight that says that's not true. So then therefore, the problem is not God. In other words, I can now run to God with clear conscience because He is not the one that has ever been choking me. He has never grabbed me by the throat. He's never caused me a problem. It was never his will that there be a problem. From the very beginning, that was never who he was. So now I can run to him and I can begin to see him for who he really is. That he is a God in love with man. That he is willing to provide power in a room to a bunch of people who are sitting there being critical of his son and yet he is still willing to help them. That's who he is. He's in love. All right, we're in uh, Mark chapter uh, 6. Then he went out from there, came to his own... What time is it? Then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many were astonished at his teaching. Yeah. Um... Many were astonished at his teaching. Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. I need to stop right here because this does become important. How you see God will determine how you receive from him. And so if you see him as the author of the problem, if you see him as the one who makes kids sick, if you see him as the one who causes uh, hunger and all this other stuff and disaster, if you see him that way, you're going to have trouble receiving from him. Because now Jesus shows up at his hometown. Now, this whole story to me is, is a little weird because... There's not anybody there that has a bad story to tell about Jesus. Right? Like, if you go on the internet, you can find bad stories about me. And I'm glad they don't know everything about me because the list would be longer. Right? People people would say, he's a pastor? Oh my goodness, that is insane. He's a minister? You're kidding me. Because that's the kind of kid I was. I would think after knowing Jesus for a bunch of years, when he stands up and says, I'm the Christ, you know, I, I'm, I'm here, I'm, and he preaches the message, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for the morning me to preach the gospel of the poor. I, I would have thought everybody would say, well, that, you know, that makes sense. That kid, uh, man, he's honest as the day is long. I never had a problem from him, never stole a watermelon from him. I mean, he's always a good kid. You might have the other kids in there that's like, yeah, I grew up with him. Yeah, I stole, you know, Miss McGillicuddy's peach peaches off of a peach tree and he says somebody said did you you know do you know who stole it and Jesus says yes I do it was him you know 
might have that kind of story, but you don't have a bad story to tell. You don't have a story to tell about how he lied. You don't have a, a story to tell about how he stole. You don't have a story to tell about how he acted in any way. And yet, they are rejecting him. Now, th- what's also interesting about this is, you know, I love you. I, I do, uh, especially those of you I've gotten to meet and to talk to. Um, and I love Pastor Sid. I, I love Patrick. But if I have a choice as to who I'm going to help, and I, I've got uh, Pastor Sidney, I've got Patrick, and I've got my wife. And I get to choose, I, I get to choose who, which of these three I'm going to help. No offense, but I'll watch the other two die to help my wife. Because she's va- more valuable to me than any other person I've ever met. Except the Lord. So, but, and why is that? And listen, if they're not going to make it, y'all definitely don't have a prayer. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I'll watch you all get mowed down. Right? Uh, uh, she, because, for my wife. Now, why is this important? Because when Jesus shows up to this town, these are the people he knows the best. These are the people that were the closest to him that he grew up with. You know, he saw Mrs. McGillicuddy who had arthritis all of you know for years, and so this now he was not doing miracles before, but now he's going to be able to. He has the power to help now. You know, he has gone to the River Jordan. He has been baptized. And now the anointing from ministry has come upon him. And he stepped into his role. And now he shows up in his hometown. I am going to be able to help these people. These people that I care about. My best friends. The people closest to me. I'm going to be able to help these people. My brothers and sisters. And he can't help a one. He tries to. But notice what it says here. It says, uh, after he says, a prophet is without honor except in his own hometown and among his own relatives. It says, now he, now, now notice this wording. Not that he would not. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people. It actually means minor ailments and healed them. And then he marveled at their unbelief. Then he went about, about the villages in a circuit teaching. Not that he wouldn't, that he couldn't. He couldn't help them, wanted to help them, was trying to help them, but couldn't help them. Now, there's a couple things that were religion, this story and religion come head to head. Because I've heard people say Jesus did miracles. The reason that Jesus healed people was to prove who he was, to prove he was the son of God, to prove he was the Christ. Well, then he failed in Nazareth. I mean, he was a complete and absolute failure. Y'all looking at me like a calf at a new gate. I mean, he failed. And so if he's doing miracles and to prove who he was, it didn't work. Now, they are offended at him. I just tell you, if it's me and you're offended at me, then I want to show off to you so that I can look at you and go, nah. So you, ah, who is you? Are you, oh, aren't you the carpenter? Here, there you go. Get up, walk. What do you think about that, huh? Because, you know, I have issues. <laughs> so, because if you're going to prove who you are 
and you're in control and you're just going to do whatever you want to do, who cares whether they've got unbelief? Who cares whether they're offended? I'm just going to do it to do it because I came here to prove who I am. Nope. That's not how it worked. That's religion, not reality. Had a guy tell me one time, he says, if healing is for today, then why don't you just go down to the hospitals and clear them out? That's what my Jesus would do. You've never read the gospel? Because he didn't do that. One time, he walked down into a, a major group of sick people, ministered to one fellow, and turned around and left. He didn't clear the place out. Now, if anybody there had asked him for help, he would have helped them. But he didn't just take it upon himself to just go run and lose. Like duck, duck, goose. Boop, 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 boop. Healed, 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 healed. Because this is the way people have this religious thing. Well, he just did, you know, he was just proving himself. This is one of the reasons that when people talk about healing, that's one of the reasons healing has passed away because he only did it then to prove who he was. Nope. Besides that, He's physically standing there proving who he is. I think we would need to be able to prove who he is today more than ever before. And thank God we can prove that he's still alive. But again, if God is in control, why doesn't he just run loose through his hometown among the people he knows the most intimately? Are you here? Luke chapter 6. It's also interesting about the guy that he went to go minister to uh, at the pool, right? in the midst of, on Solomon's porch with all those sick people, his question to the guy was this. Will you be made whole? Does that sound like somebody who's in control? Will you be made whole? Do you want to be made well? Because if you're in control, honestly, you don't have to ask that question. Are y'all here? You don't have to ask that question. You don't have to ask the guy, wilt thou be made whole? It's like, here, get up, buddy. <laughs> I want you well. Here's something else I want to throw out to you. Because people say, well, it's only God's will to hear something people. If that's true, wouldn't you, wouldn't he know who they were? Like if there's a list, right? Wouldn't he know who was on the list? I mean, if you're only going to heal like this amount of people, these people, wouldn't you know who was on the list? So why is it when the woman of the issue of blood... <laughs> Touched his garment. Jesus asked everybody who was it. Rather than just turning to her and say, Hey Sarah, how you doing? Knew you were coming out today. Yep, the Father wanted you to have it. Be blessed, old girl. Instead, what was he doing? It literally says he asked everyone. Was it you? Was it you? Somebody touched me. Was it you? Was it you? Why is he asking everyone? Because it could have been anyone because it was available to everyone. It was available to everyone. By the way, th that story completely upends religion because he didn't even control the flow of the power. He didn't even send it out. It says she touched him and he stops and says, power flowed out of me and I don't know where it went. <laughs> Come on. All right. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Wow, that's an excellent question. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I'll show you to whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep 
and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the, the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. God is in control. That's interesting. Let's break this story down. These two guys attend the same church. How do we know that? Because they heard the exact same teaching. So these two guys are sitting next to each other in the church. Right? We've got Sid and Jen. Right? Pastors. So Jen says, you know that teaching we heard at the church today? I'm going to go do it. I'm, gonna, I'm leaving here. I'm going to go do it. Pastor Sid says, uh, oh, that was a great message. That was a phenomenal message. But uh, we need to get to the buffet. And, um, and uh, well, are you going to, um, uh, are, are, are you going to, are you planning on doing any of that? Uh, no, I don't think so. But it was a great message. It was really a great message. But I'm, I don't, no, I'm not going to do it. All that digging and stuff and going deep. I don't think it takes all that. I'm just going to go ahead and start building. I'm, I'm not even going to lay a foundation. Now, a storm shows up. And people get this idea, well, God is in control. And so God, the storm hits both of their houses. And Jen's, Jen's is sitting in her house with a cup of tea watching everything go by. She can barely even tell there's a storm. If she hadn't read the weather report, she wouldn't have known. Because her house is not even shaking at all. She's just sitting there. Pastor Sidney's out on his, his door, surfing down the road. <laughs> because the house is gone. And, and people begin to say, they say, well, God took care of, of Pastor Jen, but did anything for pastor said because God is in control no man can know his purpose well here's the problem his son showed up and said let me explain how you can have a life that cannot be shaken that was the point of the message how do we know that because the guy who did it the result of his life was he couldn't be shaken the storms had no effect now at this point somebody likes to bring up you don't understand the storms I'm facing you don't understand the wind and the rain and how bad it is. Evidently, the storm doesn't matter. You're majoring on the wrong thing because the same storm hit both places. Don't amplify the storm. It wasn't the storm that caused the destruction. It was the choice the person that heard the word made. God did not choose which house fell. The man who walked out of the church chose which house would fall. When you walk out of here every Saturday night, you have a choice to make. I'm either going to make a decision because I am in control. The storm is not in control. God is not in control. I'm in control. Because I get to decide when I walk out of here whether I will live by what He instructed or I don't. I cannot blame the storm. I cannot blame the devil because I've already given, been given the blueprint of which I could have a life that I cannot be shaken. And people sit there and say, I don't know why God allowed my house to fall down. That's not my question. 
My question is, why didn't you do what he said and allow the storm to take your house? Storms are coming, folks. But here's the thing. God is so in love with you. He has a seminar twice a week at this church. He's so in love with you and says, listen, week after week, we're going to talk to you about how to build a house that cannot be shaken. That no matter what storm comes up, I'm in love with you. I do not want to see you surfing down the street on your front door. I do not want that. I do not want that for you. How do we know that? Because that's what he was teaching them. I want you to survive. I want no matter what storm shows up in your life that you remain strong and you cannot even be shaken at all. This is what I want for you. So much so I'm willing to teach you step by step by step how to do it. But I need your cooperation because you are in control of whether you walk out of here and do what I said. God's intention in directing you and in talking to you is the same as it has always been. I want you to have life and I want you to have it more abundantly. It was the same message in the garden. It was the same message in Deuteronomy. It was the same message with Jesus. It is still the same message today. I am a God of life. I am for you. I am in love with you. I want better for you than you could ever imagine. I am not the author of your problem. I am not the author of your suffering. I am not the author of the death and destruction. But I am the author of a solution to which you can build a house that cannot be shaken by it. Now, I'm in love with you and I will help you. Now tomorrow we're going to get into this. Well, what happens if I blow it? What happens if I make mistakes and just make I done terrible things? You're going to want to be here tomorrow night. Because tomorrow, tomorrow night, I'm going to show you exactly how Jesus will treat you. I'm going to show you exactly what he, how He'll react to you. And you need this because you want to know what? You're going to make mistakes. You know how I know that? Because I'm going to make some mistakes. I'm not going to plan on it. I'm not planning on doing it. But I know that at some point, I'm probably going to miss it. And when I miss it, I want to know what is the result. What help can I expect when the storms of life come? What storm can I expect if I'm the one by my choices that caused the storms of life? Did y'all get something out of this tonight? Have you answered your question? Can you answer the question when somebody says, well, if God is such a good God, why is there suffering? Just look at him and say, my granddaddy. My granddaddy did it. That's how it all got started. And along the way, we've helped him. But I do need you to know from the very, very beginning, while God was actually in control, all it was was good. And that's all He desires still today. He still wants good for us every day of our life because He is completely in love with us and wants to help. Amen? Thank you all for being here, Pastor Sid. Rich and well-fed, right? So tomorrow evening at 7 p.m., we will do it again, go a step further. How many want to go from faith to faith, glory to glory? So if you would, just stand with me, and we're going to close and ask the Lord to do some things. Father, we just thank You that You are good. Thank You, Lord, that You give us choice. 
thank you that you have loved us enough not to make us robots, but you, you gave us the ability to choose and then you told us the right choice to make because you didn't want us to be in doubt how to do it. And we're grateful for it, Father. I ask you, Father, that by your Spirit you minister these words that were spoken, that, the, that you continue to teach us and bring alive within us. Your instruction and the Word that will bring forth a harvest in our life so that we might walk in righteousness, in victory, as overcomers in the name of Jesus. And amen. Well, go in peace or take your time before you go and fellowship with one another. Greet someone. Say hello to someone. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International here at Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Amen. Great to see everybody tonight. Thank you so much for showing up and assembling here. And I want to encourage you this evening with your worship tonight. In Psalms 34, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. When? All times. His praise shall continually, that means constantly, forever, over and over, be in my mouth. So you praise with your mouth. You praise out loud. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So praise with life from your tongue. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Our victory is in the Lord, isn't it? So we should boast of him. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord. When we come together and magnify him together, he is what? In the, he's here. He inhabits the praises of his people. He loves to be here when we praise him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusted in the Lord. And oh, fear the Lord, all ye saints. There is no want to those who fear him. That's reverencing him in awe and wonder. How about if we all stand up together tonight as the family of God here at CWI. And let's worship and thank the Father and Jesus with the Holy Spirit for all that he is and all that he's done. Amen. this right now just lift up your hands to the Lord you know it's scriptural it, the word tells us again and again lift up holy hands lift up your hands to the Lord so father we just honor you right now because you are good you are awesome you are faithful your faithful love surrounds us father we rejoice in your goodness we stand in your goodness and we say thank you Thank you for being kind to us. Thank you for being full of mercy. Thank you for loving us. Even when we were still your enemies, you loved us, and we're so grateful. Thank you, Lord. Someone say, thank you, Father. All right, you may be seated. 
He is a good, good father. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, He loves me. So do we have any first-time guests in here tonight? If you're here for the very first time, wave your hands at me. So, okay, over here's one. Over here's another. So uh, our ushers will bring a card to you like this, and um, you can fill that out if you'd like and put it in the offering basket. But on that card on the back is a place to put prayer requests. So if there's something that you need prayer for, you can write it down there, and we will cover that in prayer. So thank you for joining us tonight. Um, Elaine, I see you made it. We met Elaine in the uh, restaurant this morning. Told her about the meeting and actually she noticed the shirt I had on and said she liked the shirt because it said this, where, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So that led to another thing, so she's here with us tonight. Hallelujah. Tonight I want to, if you would, just turn with me real quick to the book of Philippians, and we're going to take an offering. And, you know, Brother Kurt has come with Pat, and they have all kinds of expenses in coming here, and we certainly want to cover those expenses, but we don't want to stop so short of just covering the expenses. We actually want to bless them enough that they are enabled to do more in other places. All right, and so every night we're going to take an offering and uh, we'll give you an opportunity to partner with them in the work that the Lord is doing uh, through Pastor Kurt and uh, Kurt Owen Ministries all around the world. So in Philippians chapter 4, I will read. So what had just happened here, Paul is talking about um, him and the work that he was doing and how this particular, the Philippian church had um, sent money to him and partnered with him in the work that he was doing in multiple places. They did this with him. And so now he is talking about that. Before I read that, does anyone need an envelope for cash giving to be receipted? If you're giving in cash and want to be receipted, raise your hands. Our ushers will bring an envelope to you. Of course, there's room on there to write in credit card information. Uh, your checks, just make those out to CWI, and we're going to just pass those through to, uh, to the ministry. So here, let's begin reading in, in verse 10 of chapter 4. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know both how to have a little, I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church partnered with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that is increasing to your account. 
This word increasing carries within it the meaning superabounding. So not just a little bit, but like multiplied upon multiplied. So he's saying it's not that I'm just wanting an offering from you. He's going, but I'm seeking the fruit that's going to come from that offering. He goes, but I have, in verse 18, but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Ephroditus the things you provided, a fragrant offering, a welcome sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So here we see the partnership that took place and even though they weren't with him in those locations what happened was they still received benefit from those from what Paul did in those locations and it it is counted to their account and Paul is saying you know what my god according to his riches in glory now we know that pavement there's gold pavement in heaven right so there's no lack of riches there there's a super abundance with the father how many know He's a God of more than enough? Right? He's a God of more than enough. And so, uh, the biggest limiter, I believe, for us financially is our ability to have bigger vision. Sometimes we get small visioned and small vision, you know, we, we become selfish. We think about our needs and, and us four and no more. But we're not called to be just us four and no more, right? We're supposed to see the whole world. We're supposed to have world vision. And that is, in particular, what the Lord has assigned to uh, Pastor Kurt is a world vision. And so we get to be a part of it. So take a hold of your offering and let's pray over it. And we're going to release faith that the Word of the Lord is going to work in your finances. Father, I thank You that You are good, that You are kind, and that You are a God of major abundance. And Father, I thank You that You would... uh, Watch that you watch over your word and that you will fulfill your promises for those that are sowing tonight, that you increase their accounts, you cause increase to come into them in even unexpected and unanticipated ways, Father. And Father, I just ask that you would remind us that when those blessings come in, that you would prompt us and help us to recognize that these are from you, Father, that these are connected because of where we sowed back there. I thank You, Lord, that You bring it in wave upon wave. And I ask You, Lord, that You continue to expand our vision, expand our heart, and our capacity to give. In Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. The ushers can wait on the people, and the people will give unto the Lord.